have its influence on us to change our hearts and minds and conform us to your image. To just encourage one another in fellowship and in our love for you and for one another. We thank you, Lord. It's a blessed, wonderful privilege for us to avail ourselves of this opportunity to be with you and to learn your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. We were at all my notes on a different clipboard because I have one more verse left in chapter four. I have two clipboards. I'll be right back with my those notes. Go ahead and talk about anything. <laughs> Jesus Christ, 
and the blood atonement and the finished work that he did by going into the holy place. The curtain is rent in two. The blood was once for all poured out before God on the mercy seat, so to speak, thinking of the Old Testament. In, in Romans it says he is our mercy seat. And so the book of Hebrews is very important. That's why we're studying it, so that we can understand how it is that we might be able to draw near to God. I just talked to uh, Keith Gentile, who they're out by the way up at their cabin for the summer, so we'll see them in September. But Keith went to a meeting of prophets the other night, some, uh, and um, to, just to see what was going on, he got himself up in the front row and, and he, listened to, he listened to these prophets. Well, he said the meeting was interesting. First of all, they had an hour and a half of music before anybody said anything. To, see, they're trying to use this certain kind of music to break through to God, okay? And so they go on and on and on with the music. And then they had one prophet speak, and then the other prophet speak, spoke. But the one guy was saying that the, there are three types of music, and he called it um, three types of worship. It was Abrahamic worship, Davidic worship, and now the church, according to them, is going to come into the latest, greatest type of worship, which is called throne room worship. Okay? What? Throne room worship comes from the idea from Revelation. And the whole point of it is that you can get closer to God. So if you learn how to come into this new throne room worship, then you're going to really come into the presence of God. And so when I was talking to Keith about that on the phone, I said, you know, the whole this whole thing, this, these errors would not be in the church if people just understood the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews tells us how we can come, become close to God. And there's only one way. And, and it's, it's called a new and living way. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ and the finished work. And so these deeper life teachings or these, whatever they might be, these special experiences that are going to get you close to God, if people understood the gospel, they wouldn't be suckers for these things because they know you can't get any closer to God. How much closer to God can you get than going to the throne of grace? I mean, this is the very, there's the throne room, and you only get there through the, the blood of Jesus, not through a new style of music. Right? Yes. I asked him one time, um, what was the difference between the music here and the music where it came from? And he answered me after he was done laughing. He said, they're always trying to get something. They're going, they're doing, getting people to, you know, and becoming more wilder and wilder. You know, there's always that striving for more. And he said, here, we recognize who God is and praise Him for it. <laughs> That's it's a lot simpler, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that, but see, there's this idea that you that you're lacking something and you need a breakthrough to get it. And what the Bible tells us is that we already have all things provided in Christ. And the reason we have problems and difficulties and discontentments and so on is the fact that we're sinners and we live in a sinful world and it's not all complete yet. But the means by which we do receive what God has for us are laid out. Now, that's, this verse 16, I'm going to talk about this concept of means of grace. This is Hebrews 4.16. I'm writing an article. I need to finish it on Monday so I can get it to Dick. My editor. Yeah. He, he gave himself a, a new job title. <laughs> which is just the work got harder. 
Yeah, yeah the work got harder because I did such a poor job. <laughs> yeah, he gets the double in his in his, rate, his salary. Um, but the, I'm going to be writing Monday on this idea of means of grace. Now, in Lutheran and Reformed tradition, means of grace are word and sacrament. All right, and so that would be uh, the preaching of the word of God and communion and baptism would be means of grace in, in those traditions. And I would agree, and I, I've talked to a Lutheran uh, theologian here a few weeks ago when I was out at, at the seminary there about this concept. Of it. it was a very interesting discussion. I would agree with that. I would agree that the Word of God is a means of grace. And I'll, talk to, I'll tell you what I mean, understand means of grace to be. And also I believe that communion is a means of grace and that so is baptism. But I think that they've left out a couple of very important aspects of how God graciously works. What we mean by means, what I mean by means of grace, because there's different definitions of this, but what I mean by it is the, what God has ordained, what God says, this is what I've given to you to do, and as you participate, I will graciously work in your life. All through the finished work of Christ. No works, no works righteousness, no adding anything to what Christ did. But having come to God on his terms through the gospel, how does God want us to live our lives so that he will be graciously at work changing us? Alright? And Ryan and I have been teaching from um, Acts, 4 to, uh, Acts 2.42 for some years that uh, the very first practice of the church gives, tells us how this works. Acts 2.42 says that they fellowship around the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So as we are, and so therefore I would want to add prayer as a means of grace. But I told that to the Lutheran theologian. He goes, no, no, can't do that. (laughs) I asked him why, and he says, well, because prayer is something we do, and means of grace has to be something that God does. And I said, well... I don't quite see that distinction <clears throat> because taking communion is something we do. Preaching the word is something we do. Going to church to set ourselves under the preaching of the word is something we do. And, and so, um, God, I, I, how I understand it, and I'm, I'm, I want to write a letter to this guy and see if I can't get dialogue on because I really like him. Um, well, how I understand it is, for example, in the Old Testament, I'm writing this article on divination, so that's why I'm thinking about this. In the Old Testament, God allowed things that are not allowed in the New. For example, casting of lots. Casting of lots in the pagan world was divination. But it was something God ordained that they do under certain circumstances. For instance, when they went into the Promised Land to determine where the tribes would go, they did so by lot. The, the high priest had this breast piece with the urim and thummim. And evidently that was a way of making a decision that God would use. They cast lots to find out who would replace um, Judas. Now that's the last instance of that, and I think that that was the end of that, because when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, they entered into the church age. And there there was no recognition of that? No, we don't know whether that was even the right thing to do. We just know they did it. But they were following the Old Testament practice. And so... Divination was any means to try to get God to the gods or to get secret information from the gods. All divination was forbidden except 
a couple things that God allowed with, with restrictions. All right, He allowed them to have the high priest. They were to, they could cast lots on certain situations under certain prescribed means, and there were certain times that dreams were interpreted sovereignly, like with Joseph and Daniel. Whereas dream interpretation is normally considered divination. All other forms are forbidden. But why was the lot okay? Because God ordained it under certain circumstances. And if God says, this is how I will work. In other words, God says, you go to the land and you cast lots. I'm going to speak to you through those lots. So the only reason they could do it is because God said to do it. And God said he'd work through it. They couldn't do it just because they decided they want to get secret information from God. If they did, that was divination. But when God says that's how he'll work, then it's legitimate. And when you do it, God works through the means that he said he would work. Now, take that concept now, and let's fast forward into the New Testament. And so in the Old Testament, they had, they had the tent of meeting. They had the high priest. They had kings, and they had ways that God would speak to them through their prophets and, and what have you. Now we go to the New Testament. God has spoken to us once and for all through Christ and his apostles. The faith once for all delivered to the same. But as New Testament Christians, we need to ask ourselves, what are the means that are legitimate that God has given to us whereby he's going to guide us, speak to us, work in our lives, and change us? What are those means? That's what that issue of means of base is. And, we're, and I'm agreeing with Reformed and Lutheran teachers who say that those means are the word, and I don't use the term sacrament because it's a little mystical. I, I would use the term ordinances, baptismal or suburb. But I'm also suggesting that based on this verse we're going to study, there was a reason for this whole speech, by the way. <laughs> I think that this verse that we're studying is the strongest evidence that prayer is included as a means of grace. All right, because it says so. I mean, it really, it basically just says so. Look at this verse. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, so what exactly does that mean? How do we draw near with confidence to the throne of grace? Well, look at verse 15. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And so, obviously, what we're doing is we're in our weaknesses, going to God, like Paul did when he asked God about the thorn in the flesh, which was his weakness, his asthenia in the Greek. And so, going to this throne of grace um, is our access to God whereby we find what? Grace to help in time of need. We receive mercy, we receive grace. So that is our access. And so how could we not consider this a means of grace? All right? To come to Jesus on his terms, to the throne. Now, we're not going there to get secret information, because that would be divination. See, all, 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 any method that God ordains can be misused. Let's just think about the ones he's ordained. We know he's ordained the word, right? And I guarantee you, on the authority of God's word itself, I, it's absolutely true, and you can, I've seen it happen my whole Christian life, that if you go 
where the Word of God is taught accurately, where the Gospels preach, where the Bible's taught, even though week by week by week, maybe every single Sunday the sermon isn't so great or whatever, at least it's the Bible. That's the great thing about expository preaching. Even when a preacher has a bad day, you still get the Word of God. <laughs> That's the strongest argument there is. That's very true. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to hit a home run every time I get up to the plate, but the Word of God will always have its effect. But that sitting under the Word, just even what we're doing here, and talking about it and reading the Bible to each other is a means that God will be at work in your life, in your heart, in your mind. It'll be changed. You'll be conformed to the image of Christ. It's a gracious means that God uses, and I've seen it. And, and I think the reason you have so much of this uh, other stuff coming into the churches is the word's been taken out. So the people don't get grace. They don't change. They don't grow because they're starved. And when they don't have, then, then you see all these problems that just get worse and worse and worse. So then you gotta bring in a bunch of professionals to fix the problem. Or you bring in an experience or some kind of a new counseling theory or a new whatever. And it's just a sad, tragic thing. And John MacArthur told, was talking about that when we had him on the radio. He said, these people are not going to grow. They're not getting the word of God. Yes. I've been to many different churches and I'm gonna stand behind what you just said is people need in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and only through the word and all of these different things that are coming up theophostics and, and so yeah. on and so forth all these different things that are coming up it's kind of like the church is demanding ways to change and get closer to God and become a different person because they're not getting the word of God they're looking elsewhere the, yeah. and they're trying to give them something Right. But they're not giving them the Word of God. I, right. I don't know how many churches I've been in where they don't even open their Bibles. Well, if they bring them. I've been, I've been hearing that from people all over the country. And so, I think that there's real strong evidence from what you just said. That you take the Bible out, you starve the people. If they're not saved, they won't be converted because they're not hearing the Gospel. But if they are saved, they're not going to grow because they're not given the means. Right? Then, lacking that, you see the problem, so you feel like you need something, so all this other stuff stands there. And so what I said when I was at that Lutheran seminary, they said, do you think Theophosics is a different gospel? And I said, well, Ed Smith does in the beginning of his book tell that he has faith in the real gospel. But I'll tell you for sure what it is. It's a different means of grace. It's a different means of grace. In other words, instead of growing in the grace and knowledge of God, you're going to go have this experience that's going to get you closer to God. So let's let's think about this. If what does it say? Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Now, first of all, there's an irony here. If you know about thrones in the ancient world, you didn't go with confidence to anybody's throne because if you went unbidden, they'd kill you. The king, remember Esther? Okay, you just didn't go hop skipping and jumping into a throne room and say, hey. Hey, how you doing, Kate? Now these guys are thought themselves too important, and they had to ask you to come. You didn't just go, and if you wanted a hearing with the king, you had to go through the protocol, all right? And so, can you imagine that the greater what is there any king greater than, than our Lord Jesus Christ, all right? And is there any throne room that would be more dangerous to approach than God's? I mean, here's the judge of the whole universe. has the power not only to kill you, but to throw your soul forever into hell. Okay? 
And so here you have the one place that you probably wouldn't want to go, where we're given free access to the throne of grace because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now that is amazing. That is amazing. That we can actually go into this throne room and you don't get in there for some new kind of worship music. You know, throne room worship. You get there through the blood of Jesus. The Jews, the rabbi, once a year could go into the throne room and he did it with a rope tied around it. Yeah, that wasn't even the heavenly throne room. That was just the earthly one. Right. That was just the earthly one. And so, for us to have that access into the Exactly. And, um, the, the, so, is this a means of grace? Well, I don't know how it can be anything less. And so, let us draw near. This is fully, this, uh, Grace and mercy is fully available to believers because Christ's sacrifice and high priestly ministry. So what I mean by means of grace then is this. God says, this is what I ordained. This is what I've given you. And if you come on my terms in this way, you can be assured that I'm at work. If you go other ways... There's no guarantee you might be getting demons, you might be getting man's wisdom, you could be getting anything. You know, you can't go with the astrologers that get you closer to God. The crystal ball will get you closer to God. But, uh, doing good works will get you closer to God. And the eightfold path or whatever it is. How many, how do the Buddhists get to God? They have eight, I can't remember the number. Uh, all of these things won't get you closer to God, but the gospel will. The blood of Jesus brings you right into the very presence of God. Yes, Dick. Well, when you mentioned when you and Ryan preach, I think you mentioned the apostles' teaching, breaking bread, and prayer. Yes. Was there a reason you let fellowship out? Uh, we are. What we're doing with that is we're combining the concept of, of uh, yeah, fellowship is part of it, and I think that the idea of communion and fellowship are closely intertwined. Okay, the breaking of bread and fellowship are happening simultaneously in their love feast in the early church. I mean, fellowship, I mean, communion became more of a high, how would you say, a, a high church thing through Catholicism. So whereas more of like this, what would you say, religious ceremony. Yeah, yes, it means a grace, but it, communion became more of a ceremony in, in church history. Whereas in the early church, they literally had table fellowship. They literally sat together in a love feast and had table fellowship. And because that's the Jewish idea of table fellowship. And the whole point of the, of the, of communion is the looking forward to the Mary Supper of the Lamb and remembering what God did. Alright? And so that became part of their gathering together just, uh, uh, week by week in the very earliest church. Now, for us, we would see them as separated because we have fellowship continually in a lot of different situations, whereas communion is something that happens once a month. All right? But we just need to know that they did it somewhat different in those days. So those two things are very much closely intertwined. The thing you might mention to your Lutheran friends when, when you talk about this again is that uh, communion without confession and repentance is a means of condemnation or separation from Yes, it is. And this is, these two verses tied together, Christ is without sin, but we can go to the, throw boldly to the throne room with our sin to confess it. Mm-hmm. 
And that is where the grace comes in. Yeah. Now, the Lutherans would have confession as part of their, because they have it in their liturgy. If you, if anybody been Lutheran? Yeah, they, see, what Luther did was he took the idea of having a priest standing between you and God and said, that's not, that's wrong, because we believe in a priest of every believer. But he still saw the need for confession, so he put it into the church service as part of the liturgy. And so if you're Lutheran, you will confess your sins publicly and corporately uh, in the service. And you never get off? Well, you're well, supposed there's to. No, yeah, there's no place to be. <laughs> in some cases, what happened is they, in the absence of gospel preaching, then you're just always a sinner and you don't. But some Lutherans are good at gospel preaching. These ones that I met were. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's a good point. So what we're doing is we're going to the throne room through Christ, not the earthly one, but the heavenly one. And we, the only reason we dare do so is because of his finished work. And we're confessing that we're sinners, that we need mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And when's our time of need? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd say now, yesterday, and tomorrow, and next week. And, I mean, we're in a time of need until the resurrection. Right? So there's always uh, a good reason for prayer daily. My Bible notes that uh, we get the appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. So it, it, it emphasizes the fact of the awesomeness of God, that he knows where we're at, how much we can take, and just when, when we need it the most, then we will receive. Great, I've seen that before. It's very good, though. Yeah, timely need, <laughs> timely, timely help, timely help in in, in our need. Uh, the word um, "draw near," the fantastic word there. It's in the continual tense in the Greek. It's in the con- continual presence. So we continually draw near with confidence. The word "confidence" there, her. Parasia means bold frankness. And that's, again, ironic because you normally wouldn't think of going to the throne of God with bold frankness because you'd be going there with fear and trepidation. So that's how great this work of grace that God did through the gospel is that we could have bold frankness going to the throne of God where we ought to be very, very intimidated uh, just because we're sinners. So it's pretty ironic that this could be the case that Parousia, bold frankness, frankness to go to God. And there, rather than finding judgment, which is what you would expect from the throne, you find mercy. God's a merciful God. Bob, yes. in my uh, whatever, concordance of spirit, says that it's freedom in speaking, freedom in speaking all that one thinks in confidence and boldness. Yeah. Freedom the, in speaking all that one thinks. We don't even do that in our country I know. We have free, freedom to speak. And, and the very, that same word parousia is used in, in um, um, Acts where it says when they beheld the boldness of the disciples, though they were ignorant and unalert men, they took note that they'd been with Jesus. So the disciples were using this kind of speech when they were preaching the gospel in Acts. Bold frankness. And we should have bold frankness when we preach the gospel. Because it's God's means of saving people. And you know, um, so this is a powerful word. Now this throne of grace that we might receive. And so what we do, we receive grace. 
when we come to God through Jesus Christ, through the gospel, and through prayer. And uh, I was talking about the misuse of means of grace. Let me show you how just about anything that God gives us can be misused. Everybody's agreeing that the word of God is a means of grace. Well, these people that believe in it. By the way, Lutheran Reform believe in means of grace. Most other uh, Protestant groups um, of any kind of Arminian persuasion do not ever talk about means of grace because they are talking usually about spiritual disciplines instead. All right? Spiritual disciplines are, in a sense, the alternative for means of grace. Spiritual disciplines would be, comes from the medieval Catholic uh, practices such as solitude, um, introspection, silence, uh, whatever, uh, things that you put yourself through to try to become more holy, pietistic type practices. And in my uh, magazine that I get, Modern Reformation, they had a, uh, they interview, usually interview somebody they disagree with, an author they disagree with. They interviewed, for instance, uh, Rick Warren. But they were interviewing this guy who wrote a book on spiritual disciplines. And they totally disagree with that. In other words, the idea is that what we have through the gospel and through the word really didn't do it for us. It just sort of made, it's the first step, but you have this, there's this higher level of spirituality to be achieved by people who take special measures. And this is really strong in Roman Catholicism. So if you go out and join a monastery, did you see that thing in the paper about these monks that are making coffins? Yeah, that was interesting, I thought. And nothing else to do, because they're sitting in solitude and poverty. Well, yeah, taking a, a, an oath of poverty would be a spiritual discipline to try to get oneself closer to God. And see, we would deny that. I would totally deny that kind of approach and say that, no, we're already brought right as close as we're going to get to God until we die through the gospel. And so we'll, 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 we don't need some special technique to become more holy. What we need is to live out faithfully the means that God's given us. And he'll, he'll work out holiness in our lives by his ordained means. Okay, so we're talking about means of grace. Think about the Bible or the Word of God, the preaching of the Word as a means of grace. Can that be misused? Yes. You can misinterpret the Bible. You can twist the Scriptures. You can, you can say, well, the Bible says... And then go off on something like, you know, God wants everybody wealthy, and if they're not wealthy, then they're sinning. Well, is that going to work graciously in your life if that's what you hear? No. Okay, so you're abusing it. Or, I was talking, I'm going to write this, I'm rehearsing my article, I hope you don't mind. Because <laughs> I've got to get this clear before I write it. Um, what about in the Old <laughs> Testament, for example? They were forbidden to use divination. Now, divination was trying to read signs and omens or whatever, the stars, the planets. They threw bread on a crick and then watched the swirl and where the crumbs went told them what the gods were saying. They took arrows and threw them and where they stuck in the ground told you where to go. Well, think about this, and I'll make this claim in my article. What about the Christian that does this? How it falls... Oops, must be a word from God. It wasn't my Bible. <laughs> That's my note. That's bad. My notes are not the Bible. But let's say you do that. You know what you're doing? You're practicing divination. That is practicing divination. It's trying to gain secret information from God that he hasn't chosen to reveal by where the page fell open rather than by reading the content. It's by chance. 
Yeah, by chance. It fell over the page. You could take, take a, you can go down and buy a Ouija board. I'm not recommending this. <laughs> okay, you go down and buy a Ouija board, paint the whole thing black, and then cut out Bible verses and, and paste them on the top of the Ouija board. And then have somebody get on there and let the Ouija board lead you to the Bible verse. Do you think that would be okay? No, we wouldn't think that's okay. But how is that different than this? It's the same idea. You're trusting chance. In other words, God's going to work through the chance occurrence to speak to you. So the Bible can be misused. It can be twisted or it can be used as if it were divination rather than rationally going to the content of the scriptures that have been revealed to find the answer that we need for the situation we're in. Okay? Bible code, that would also fall out there. Yeah, the Bible code would sort of saying that God gave us this means of divination. Like it's, the, yeah. it's, it's to be found. It's sort, of, it's sort of like the pagan gods. They have their messages hid in nature, and we've got to ferret it out by some technique. You can say the same thing with communion. I would say some of the... Uh, some of these mystical doctrines of communion are borderline divination. Um, you could do the same thing with prayer. Prayer could become divination by trying to use prayer, for example, this meta, uh, contemplative movement. They're, 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 they're using the TM techniques. Or, or even There was even a guy that... Uh, Brian Flynn debated on Joyce Harley's show, who's teaching yoga for Christians. And, and the idea is, rather than us going to the throne of grace with our knees and bringing ourselves before God in prayer, we're trying to use a technique to get God to give us special revelations. We're trying to find secret information that God hasn't chosen to reveal. And so a prayer that tries to ferret out a revelation is divination. So you're misusing the means. Uh, fellowship uh, is really only a means of grace in, in, in as much as we're fellowshipping around the Lord, His Word, prayer, and encouraging one another into love and good works, as it says in the Scripture. If we have bingo, I don't think that's fellowship. Unless you win. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, could call, you could have bingo, I guess, but that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a means of grace. Have I told you that joke about that? The guys that are going to drown on Leech Lake? Well, there's these three guys out on a boat on Leech Lake, and these huge waves come up, and this literally happens out there, because they're on Leech Lake going to death. And one of the waves came over the back of the motor, swamped the motor, killed it, it wouldn't start again, and the boat was on its way down. So these three guys, none of them who ever got, went to church. Uh, one of them said, well, has anybody here ever gone to church? And the other... He says, no, I've never been to church. The other one says, I haven't either. And then, well, we need to pray because the boat's going down, but who's going to do it? Well, I don't know. How, I don't know how. Well, the third one said, well, you know, I've never been to church in my life either. But when I was a kid, I grew up right next. Our house was right next to the Catholic church. So I think I maybe know what to do. He said, all right, you're the one. Uh, you pray. And he says, under the B, 25. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, that would not, so understanding that even a legitimate thing can be misused, we still have to distinguish between the legitimate and the illegitimate. And so my claim 
is that God has provided these legitimate, God-ordained means by which he has promised that by going to him on his terms in this way, he will work in our lives. We will find grace. We will find mercy. We will find forgiveness of sins. Our minds will be renewed by God's word. Our hearts will be knit together in love and will be encouraged in unto, uh, uh, change lives by, by God's gracious means. It, and I think the reason people get away from it is not spectacular. It's like, it's like watering your flowers and putting on fertilizer. You know, if you want to see some boom instant flower, it's not going to happen. But if you do what you need to do, you know as a good gardener that you're going to get the results at the end of the summer in, in your garden. And this is the same way that Christian life works, is that if we avail ourselves of what he has given, he has promised to work and to change us. I think I can talk about Keith because he's not here. He said, you know, he, most of you that know him realize he got saved out of a really, really bunch of bad doctrine and bad practice. And he was, he knew all the top echelon people in these apostles and prophets movement and been raised in it for 17 years of his life. And when he left, he was very disillusioned, very angry, very disgusted with it, all the, the abuse that he'd taken. And, you know, kind of had a lot of battles with, the, with all these people. Plus, it's impossible, really hard to escape when you're, all your family's in it, you know. And a couple of years ago, if he'd go to a meeting where some of those people were, he'd just get very angry. He called me and he said, yesterday, just before he went up north, and he said, you know what absolutely amazed me? He said, what totally amazed me is when I went to that meeting, I never felt angry even once. I felt so sad for these people that are coming there hoping to hear from God, hoping to get closer to God, and they're not getting what they need. He said, I never, he said, I can't believe that I wasn't angry. Well, Keith didn't go through anger management. He just went to the means of grace, and over three years, God changed him. Yes. You know, there's a little addition to that. I, I talked yeah. about it also, but I've gone to some of these prophecy conferences with him, and I didn't go to this one saying, you know, I don't want to do this again. But his um, the conclusion is a good thing for us. The fellow that was leading this thing is the person that is, if there were an arch enemy, the person that heard the most out of the whole pile yeah. was there leading it. Yes. And as, as he watched them, he said, you know, this guy leading this thing has really got a heart for the need of the people which is an interesting thing. He just got a wrong answer. And he's really pursuing the wrong answer with a vehemence. But the trouble is, it's coming from a thing that he's seeing that's really real. These people need help. They need help. They know how to come to God. And he's just chosen the bad route. Yeah. I, I, I was very, he was writing a letter to one of these guys to try to encourage him because he did have some good things. And then, uh, plus, he, he was trying to say, you know, you have this good thing, but the other thing, you know, the throne room worship is not good. Um, I mean, it is an encouragement to us because it's really easy to take a look at whoever is off in an error and assume they're both an idiot and evil and all the rest of it. Right? And the reality is they're trying. It's got a bad they're, they're, they have a zeal for God, like Paul said, but without knowledge. Um, and so uh, I am absolutely convinced in the means of grace, if, if I use that phrase, because I've seen it work. And some of you here, or all of you here, probably can say amen. Yeah. But what would your life be like if God just left you the way you were? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> 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 
you, a lot of people would, would, would be able to say, I'd either be dead or in a mental hospital, or whatever. And does God work through these means? Amen. And so, um, sometimes the most profound things just don't look like much in the splashy world of TV and hotshot stuff that Americans are addicted to. But I'll tell you, they're fabulous. They change your life. It's just like raising kids. You know, a mother's influence over the is a, just an incremental thing over a whole lifetime, but it'll make a huge difference. Does the sad belief that God knows the <coughs> intent of our heart, and even if we're involved in something that isn't quite right, God knows that. But it's why does studies such as this that helps us clarify and get things on the right track? So I, I just thank God for our pastor. Well, like I said, the reason I go through the Bible is if I have a bad day. <laughs> At least you get something. <laughs> the worst thing you got is the Bible. That's a good thing. You were talking about the word of the Lord and a famine, and Amos talks about the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing of the words of the Lord. And men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Wow. Is this applicable to today? Well, it certainly seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. I mean, we hear more and more of people, I mean, like this, pointing to a verse, and that's the word for me today. It's like, yes, the word of God is true, and it's always true, but we can use it wrong right. if but, we don't look at the whole context. And what God has given us. Okay, so how would we use that verse rightly? I think that for one thing... But I mean, if I, I use that as, like you said, yeah. divination. It's like, it's still a famine for the word of the Lord because they don't have an understanding. Yeah. Right. There's Bibles. America is full of Bibles. Right. But even some of the pollsters have done studies say that American Christians are biblically illiterate. Um... I think also thinking of that verse and applying it under the New Covenant, because that was an Old Testament verse, but I think the concept is still true. It says in Thessalonians, it says that because they would not receive a love of the truth, so as to be saved, God will send deluding influence. So if you don't love the truth, God will just let all this other stuff happen. But it, you talked about a little bit about blessings and truth. It, you know, you're not wealthy, there's something wrong in my life. Yeah. And so those people who get wealthy, and I know a few who got exceedingly wealthy, it's like, I'm blessed. I've received God's grace. I'm blessed. It's almost like they're led on into that false thinking. It can be a delusion. And, and as Jesus said, how difficult it is for rich men to enter the kingdom. But with God, all things are possible. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we just need to always see that we're needy, no matter what's going on. When bad things are happening, it's easy to see you're needy. But we're needy all the time. So, back to our verse. Draw near, important concept, continual present tense. With confidence, means bold frankness. We can tell God everything, totally honestly. He already knows. Okay? To the throne of grace, interesting description of the throne, the throne room. That we might receive mercy. Every sinner coming to God needs mercy. You know, we don't go to the throne of grace demanding what we've got coming. <laughs> Dear God, I want what I got coming, and I want it right now. 
everybody else runs out of the room before the fire comes down. No, we go to God for mercy. To find grace. Grace, but what's the difference between grace and mercy? Let me give you a little explanation. It's always been helpful to me. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Alright, so what we do deserve is judgment. So mercy says you don't receive the judgment that you deserve. What we need is help and benefits from God. Grace is giving to us, enabling us, and enriching us in ways that we didn't deserve. Okay. A good illustration of that is the courtroom. And if you were to go there as a convicted felon or whatever to receive your, your punishment from the judge... Justice would be the judge giving you what you deserve. Mercy would be the judge forgiving you what you deserve or pardoning you. And grace would be the judge paying your penalty. I have some quotes from William Lane. He says, The possible objection that Jesus' exalted status high priest in heaven implied his aloofness from weariness and discouragement of the church in a hostile world. But this verse is telling us that that's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, even though Jesus might seem unaccessible. See, the reason they wanted an earthly high priest is because you can go and talk to him. You know? And so they may think, well, Jesus is in heaven. How are we going to talk to him? And the author of Hebrews says, no, as a matter of fact, he's a compassionate and merciful Savior. And you have access to him forever. And you can come to him. And uh, this word here, in time of need, means protective help that does not arrive too late. We often feel like God comes with his help too late, but he never does. He comes right on time. All right, now we got some verses here. I know that was a long discussion, but thank you for bearing with me. I needed to get that. When you talk about something, it gets clearer in your mind. So I need to talk about this and write about it. Brian, did you look up Isaiah 55, 6, and 7? And Dean, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Judah, Ephesians 2, 18. Daniel, Ephesians 3, 12. And, oh boy. Try. Try, sorry. Uh, Ephesians, no, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, and uh, Sandy, Hebrews 10, 19. What's that? My teacher's school just had Isaiah 55, 8. <laughs> okay, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek, inquire for, and require the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have love, pity, and mercy for him, and to our God. For he will multiply to him his abundant pardon. Well, let's see my idea in the Old Testament. Seek God, and God will show you mercy. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it shall be uh, given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. For, for what man is there of you, 
whom if his son shall ask uh, bread, will give him a stone. Or if he ask for a fish, will give him a serpent. serpent. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? I wonder why it's, it tells us that God won't give us a bad thing. You would think it would be intuitive. You thought about that? I think I have an answer. What was your question? Well, why? Well, it says God, if you ask for God for you know something that He won't give you a servant, and we give good things to our children, how much will God? Why would it? You would think that that just is a, so obvious it wouldn't need to be stated, but obviously it isn't. Now, what would be the difference? Why is that in there? Well, let's be clear. Yeah, because the answer may come in a very bad package. Okay. Uh, for example, Paul, thorn in the flesh, he went and asked God to take it away, and he found an answer from God. You get to keep it, because it's good for you. So we might interpret that as being a serpent. The answer to us may seem to be a bad thing, but as a matter of fact, it's a good thing. Because it's coming from God's grace. It's like when Habakkuk asked God to remove the wicked leadership from Israel. <clears throat> so God's answer was to send the Chaldeans to destroy Israel. And so it would seem like that was a bad thing, but as a matter of fact, it was a good thing because it had a saving purpose in the long run, though the vision very weak for it. So even God's answer might involve something that's not what we were hoping or expecting, but we need to know it's a good answer. Because it always has a gracious purpose. I think that's why it says that. At least as far as I can understand. Okay, Ephesians 2.18. For through him we both have our access in one spirit in the Father. Yeah, through Christ, both Jew and Gentile have access to the Father. Father. Ephesians 3.12. Uh, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access to grace and there's another passage that talks about bold access because of our faith in Christ. This would all is only true because of the facts of the gospel. Okay, um, Troy, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There we go again. More encouragement to go to God with our needs. What happens when we don't go to God with our needs? We get to keep them. <laughs> we, we, we worry. <laughs> we get to keep them. We have, we have anxieties and worries, or we get angry, or we got all kinds of things that we don't we don't like it. But if we go to God, we have access, and we're making uh, known to God just how needy we are, and it keeps us. I think going to God in prayer keeps us from becoming bitter. Fearful and a lot of things. I mean, at least mitigate some things. Okay, Hebrews ten nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, maybe read on. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilt, guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Wow. Yeah, that says it all, doesn't it? That says it all. 
and somebody's going to come up with some new technique to get near to God. How are you going to get nearer than that? <laughs> that that's the answer. Yes, Jim. Yeah, but there was an interesting story in back in Ed Stevens' daily letter. He, he uh, quoted a story that a little girl had a particularly bad time at school one day, and she came home and was bemoaning the fact that nothing went right. And the members were doing you know all teenagers to get. Her grandmother was there, and she said, would you like a piece of cake? And she stopped, and she said, yeah. So her grandmother got out the ingredients. She gave her some lard. Yeah. And then some baking powder. Yeah. And went through the whole ingredient list by themselves, where yuck, but put together, it's a piece of cake. Now that's kind of... <laughs> so all these things are making us into a piece of cake rather than just bad individual ingredients. Well, that's exactly how how it is. And the reason this these verses are in the Bible is that it's so easy to forget that the simple things that God has given us are the most profound. Man, and He'll change our lives. By something so simple as praying for one another, and uh, it's more it's more of a privilege than we even realize that we can go to the throne of God and not die. In fact, it's just the opposite of dying by grace and mercy. Just the opposite. So never forget that, and we will be finding as we go through Hebrews more uh, teachings on the same thing because the Lord knows that we need to keep these things in front of us, lest we become barren and unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So God bless you, and we have now a time of fellowship.